It is certainly a blessing to greet this assembly tonight in the name of our Lord Jesus and to be present here in this very unique and beautiful opportunity with the gathering of many of these young people from many, many places. And I just want to thank you for those of you that have come and introduced yourselves and told us just a little bit about your story. There are many of you that I don't know, and some of you I know your parents and others your grandparents. But it's a real blessing to be here with you to, in these days. And I'm not, again, I'm not sure if you heard throughout the day today what the topic is for tonight, but they, they, the only thing I'd written on the piece of paper that I had with me, it said victorious living. And so I want you to be thinking about that a little bit. And there are just several things that I would like to do that we're not going to have time to do tonight. And so uh, if I would make this thing more practical and, and leave some of the doctrinal background of, out of it and just do the practical side of it, then I might want to talk to you tonight about uh, the purity issues in your lives these days. And some of the things that maybe God would help us to, to understand so that we can be freed from those debilitating impurities that are so common among men and women, youth today, young men and young ladies. And those that are, find themselves addicted or trapped in some of these very serious things, some ways to get free from that. We, we would enjoy doing that. It would be a blessing to do that. Another thing that I would like to do that we're not going to have time to do tonight is, uh, is just take this whole lesson on purity and apply it in this practical way like this. That, uh, that if we'd have a message on humility, the, the, the road to purity and the road to victory in the Christian life is humility. And if we'd all be humbler than what we are, it'd be far, we'd far, find far, less temp, far, far fewer temptations and we would be a more holy people. And the, the, the degree of our humility will measure the degree of our holiness. And there's, those two always go together. And so if we would focus on humility tonight, that would be another subject that we could look at. We won't be doing that tonight. And there's one more practical thing I'm going to say. It's interesting. We're looking at the practical side before we look at the Bible teaching. But this is one more practical point. And this one is so important that I would not like you to forget it. But some of us have come from churches and situations where we are afraid of what is called church standards. And that's a word that we do not use where we live. We talk about brotherhood agreements. We don't necessarily refer to this word standards. First of all, we don't have that word in the Spanish language. But we talk about brotherhood agreements. And some of us do not want that. We're scared of that. We, we feel that that's man-made holiness. We feel that that is uh, uh, someone trying to build a high fence to keep the sheep inside because there's no green grass inside the pasture. So you make the fence higher so they don't jump out where they can eat somewhere else. And we have all those ways to describe what we're talking about. And we say we don't want someone to, to set up these regulations around us. And so, uh, so I'm going to take that whole thing of, uh, of congregational agreements and positions and flip that thing upside down and stand it on its head. I'm going to talk to you like this for just a minute. Instead of your congregation coming to you and saying, you dare not have a smartphone. Or instead of them coming to you and saying, if you have a smartphone, these and these and these and these ways, we're going to do it. Instead of them coming and saying, this is what you're going to do with your technology, this is what you're going to do with your whatever. And you say, I don't want that. I'm walking with God, I've got the Holy Spirit in my life, you keep your hands off. Then, I will give you a challenge. If you want to be holy and victorious in your Christian life, then instead of the congregation coming to you and saying this and this, we expect of you, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen in your congregation. 
If you're as holy as you tell me you are, I'm going to tell you what you're going to be doing. You fellows are going to be going to the brothers in your congregation, the older ones. You're going to be going to your pastors. And you're going to be, I don't have one here. I can't, I, I can't find one up here. I don't find a smartphone up here anyplace. Uh, but but you're, going to, you're going to get your smartphone out of your pocket. You're going to take it to your pastors. You're going to take your phone to your pastors. You're going to say, this is what I have been doing on my phone. You're going to say, I have this phone for this reason, and this is what I'm doing with it. Is, did you feel okay about what I'm doing? Do you feel it's all right the way I'm using this phone? Is it a blessing to you? Does it look safe? Can you put your blessing on my pastor, what I'm doing here? If you're against this one and not doing that one, I don't see much evidence of a holy life. You're neither here nor there. Against this and not doing this. Let's not kid ourselves. There's a mistake someplace. There's a disconnect somewhere. Verse Verstana, did you understand that? That's talking right, rather, rather practically at the very, very beginning of a very, very serious subject that you can't read very far in the Bible without discovering that it's in there. Be holy, for I am holy. It's a very, very serious thing. I need your help for that. We all need each other's help for that. I have one more problem tonight. And I'm going to go back 33, 34 years when I'm making this statement. 35 years. Some of the preaching we were doing back at that time, as beautiful as it was, as inspiring as it was, Some of it intentionally or unintentionally. Some of it, and I think with very, very good intentions. Some of our preaching back in those days was highly idealistic. And we, we held up a pattern. We held up a model. We held up a standard. We held up a position that, 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 that you know, humanly speaking, we were hardly able to to take hold of it, and, and much less live it. And I think we made a few mistakes there. And probably established a course that, that led to some other mistakes later. And I'm saying that tonight because on a subject like this, victorious living, I don't want to bring people in this audience and congregation under condemnation tonight. I want us to be able to walk with the light. I want us to have hope and help. I want us to believe and to trust. I want us to reach out for what Christ has to offer us. And I want us to be free from our sins. But I want to do this in such a way that if Christ was here, he would say, 
what you've heard tonight, I will help you to live. I want it to be that way. Can, can you follow me there? Maybe some of you older ones know what I'm talking about. We know, know very, very well tonight that the values that encompass the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, stand in sharp contrast with what the world esteems as its own values. They are very, very different. Greatness, the kingdom kind, is not what our society is seeking in any kind of a way. They're looking for something very, very different from the greatness that Christ calls greatness. The new heart, the new mind that we receive at conversion brings us a new set of values. That's one of the greatest differences in a converted person. He weighs the same thing he weighed the day before. His eyes are the same color. And if he, was, if he had a bass voice, he still has one. And, and if she uh, had blue eyes, they're still there. But the thing that changed the most was the values that we have in our heart. We see the same... No, we see things in light of the world to come instead of seeing them the way this world looks at it. And you know very well that the worth of anything is determined by its value in eternity. We see things as they are valued in eternity. And we make decisions by things. And you heard the lesson today on finances. When we conduct ourselves in this world, we try to do that in light of eternity. What effect will this have there? The time I spend, what I'm doing with myself. What I'm choosing to live in, where the money is going, in eternity, what is it worth? And this explains to us the lives of the heroes of faith. This explains the choice that Moses made when at 40 years of age, he decided to choose to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of reward. He made that decision because of eternity. He made that decision because he began to see things not as the Egyptians saw them. It's for that reason that David Daniel purposed in his heart to not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat. It's for that reason that three Hebrew boys refused to bow down to a statue that was 90 feet high and made of gold. And each one of these was endured as seeing him who's invisible. And that's why they did what they did. They saw beyond. They saw what the world around them did not see. What the Egyptians did not see. And what Nebuchadnezzar could not see. But Nebuchadnezzar saw it. Before it was all over, he saw four in there instead of three. And he was very surprised at what he saw. But the other three, though they did not see that fourth one, they knew he was there. And that's why they endured as seeing him who's invisible. And they made their decisions based on that. And to live a Christian life that's pure and holy in our time, we have to be able to see the fourth one before Nebuchadnezzar sees him. Did you get that? And where is that fourth one? He's not far away. He's not even standing beside us in these flames. He's in here. He abides here. And if we want a holy life, that's where it starts. And I can ask you a question. Just how pure do you think the blood of Christ could make a person? How victorious would that make a person? How much sin can the blood of Christ cleanse? Cleanseth us from, what's the next word? Cleanses us from, what's the next word? Sin. How much can the blood of Christ do? It is amazing what the blood of Christ can do. 
victorious living. You see, how the world views victory and how Christ views it are very, very different. The world views victory this way. They, they start with this word here, competition. They start with competition. See, competition is exciting because we have frantic spectators up there in those grandstands wanting to see who the winner is going to be, who's going to be crowned with these laurels, who's going to want to run away with the, with, with the World Cup, who's going to run away with the, with the gold medal, who's going to run away with it when this thing's over. And so we're in these grandstands filling this thing and paying large amounts of money and traveling large distances to see who the winner is going to be. And there's competition here. And this one is the victor. That's victorious as far as the world is concerned. I'm on top. I'm ahead of you. Or as the, as the boys say, I beat you. Now, if you know what that word means, just think about it a little bit. Beat you. Kind of an interesting way to take care of your neighbor. But we use those words. And it's what the world uses. It's their concept of victory. It's not Christ's concept of victory. But tonight, instead of you and I, sitting up here in these grandstands, and we're up here, and, and we're looking down there on the arena. We're looking down here on the platform and seeing what's going on down there. And we, and, we, and we are cheering here. We have our flags, and we are hollering this thing on, and the cheerleaders are all behind us, and we're down there looking at that. Instead of that tonight, it's the other way around. You and I are on the arena floor. The grandstands are full. And they're watching us. It's not a text. I'll be there shortly. It's not a text. But I want you to turn just for a moment here to 1 Corinthians 4. It's not a text. It's introduction. First Corinthians 4, verse, verse 9. For I think that God hath set forth us the apostles last, as it were appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world, and to angels, and to men. And that word spectacle there is word teatro in Greek. And teatro is where you get your word theater. And more specifically, the word is amphitheater. It's a large coliseum. It's a circus maximus. And we have all these people, and they're named here. Three groups of people are named in this verse. They're filling these grandstands. And down here are the Christians. And everyone's observing how you're doing in this situation, in this temptation, in this problem, in this stressful situation, in this thing that's taking place in your life right now. And people are watching to see what goes on there. And they're studying you. And you and I decide if we will be victorious in what we're doing. Hebrews chapter 10 this is not a text. We'll soon be there. Verse 33. 32 and 3. But I call to remembrance the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great fight of afflictions, partly while you were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst you became companions of them that were so used. Perpetua. I think it was in Lyons, France, 
where she was martyred. The grandstands were filled that day. Christians were food. They were food for the lions. And so that perpetual out here on the floor. And this, this arena is crowded with a, uh, is, is filled with a screaming crowd. And they know what they want to see. They, they, they know what they're here to see. I don't know how far America is from, from entering into this kind of games. I don't think America is very far away. I think America is less than 20 years away from that, maybe less than five years away from that. I don't think that 20 years ago, anybody would have guessed that America would look at the cage fighting they've got these days going on in this country and see the bloody, beat-up mess that comes out of those, comes out of those rings. And America's got to go, but it's going to soon be at the place where it's going to take more blood yet to satisfy the lustful cravings of the, of the spectator crowd. And they wanted to see it down here. Perpetua standing out here in the middle of this ring. And she was a wealthy woman. Before she was a Christian. And she had a slave girl in her house. And it just so happens on this occasion, she and that slave girl, both are Christians and both are out there together. And they turn a bull loose. This bull, this bull comes and slams into that slave girl, knocks her flat, and sees Perpetua standing over here and, and slams into her and threw her body when she fell down on the ground. Her, the skirt of her garment was, was up. And, and, and though she was knocked virtually unconscious and slammed awfully hard, she in her modesty took her hand. And tried to cover that. And out in the middle of the arena, this is what she did. Standing on the floor, she looked at those people that were waiting for what was going to happen next. Because this show is going to continue. It's not over yet. And look at what she did. That is what she did. And she told those people these words without being able to speak. You are looking at us. God is looking at you. You are doing this to us. God has something to do to you. She preached her last sermon. She soon died after that. In the arena. In the amphitheater. That's where you and I are tonight. Now. Now then. What are we going to do there? When people are watching... Your brothers and sisters are watching. 
a great cloud of witnesses watching. The angels are watching. Men are watching. Your neighbors are watching. How will this turn out in our lives? Isn't it pretty important what kind of testimony we give when we're out on the arena? Yes, uh, Christian victory. We have some text I want to read here. That we, we have a, a, a very, very important message in Christian victory found in our Bibles. I suppose the most victorious passage of Scripture in all of your Bibles, the last book of the Bible, Revelation. I'd like to read three texts from the book of Revelation tonight. We'll start in chapter 12 of Revelation. I'd like to read verse 11. You'll notice the beauty of this verse. It says here, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. That is certainly true of Perpetua. It's been true of many, many people. This is their, victor- this is their victory, and this is how they came there. This is how this happened to them. Chapter 15 of Revelation, verse 2. And I saw as it were a sea of glass, mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast, and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. Now you talk about uh, winning the World Cup. You speak about uh, knocking him out with uh, the, thir- the third round. You talk about uh, the score, 47 to 36. You talk about winning. You talk about being victorious. You talk about the competition resulting in my superiority over my adversary, over my competitor. You talk about it. And here we have four things that they gained victory over. Four things that they were victorious in. Four things. Not one thing. You have the word over four times. Now, if we're going to give the sense, that's part of what we have to do to give the sense to this verse. Look what this says here. Sea of glass mingled with fire. And he's seeing this. And he's seeing them that had gotten the victory over the beast. Victory over the beast. Over his image. Over his mark. And over the number of his name. Stand on the sea of glass having the harps of God. And they sing this song here. Lord God Almighty, just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints, who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name, for thou art only art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. We have another text here in 21, Revelation, verse 7. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. These verses are interesting because the book of Revelation starts in chapters 2 and 3 with seven letters to the seven churches. And our Lord Jesus, in giving those seven letters, ends each one of them with these words. And he that overcometh, seven times. 
He that overcometh shall, every time, at the end of every letter, he that overcometh, this is, will be the result. He that overcometh. And, and there is no promise for anybody else. And so we can make a very simple outline for this message tonight. I'm not going to do it, but we can make a very simple outline. We could say, with just what we've read so far, if we knew nothing else about it except what we've heard so far, we could make a three-part outline and say that according to the New Testament, according to our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his own words, victory, victorious living, is a must. It's necessary. We could say that victory... Victorious living is possible. And we could say that victorious living is promised. There's a promise for it. And my dear people, they're, they're going to be victorious Christians. They're going to be overcomers. They're going to be those who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. There are those who have overcome the beast and his image and his mark. And his number. And they're going to be on that sea of glass. Mixed with fire. They're going to sing this new song of Moses and of the Lamb. And they're going to be kings and priests unto our God. And they're going to reign forever and ever. And it's up to you and I. To choose tonight to be part of that number. It's necessary. Those are the ones who are there. But we can discuss those three points that I just gave you without explaining, as we should, how we can experience that in our own lives. And I'm concerned about that. You see, this is a spiritual issue. It's not against flesh and blood. As we have in Ephesians chapter 6, and that's to be an excellent place to go for excellent teaching on victorious Christian living, this armor. That we put on our, we, we, we put this armor on like a Roman soldier. Because we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. And we're not punching at, at uh, physical things here in this earth. We're not taking a ball and kicking through a gate goalpost. There are principalities and powers, and those that have gotten the victory and have overcome this beast. It's powers that are invisible to us, but very, very consciously they're aware of us, and they're warring against us, and we have something to do about that. And, 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 and that, that cell phone, or that computer, if you just think about this, there's a, there's a serpent that's wrapped around that screen. And you need to be careful about that hiss of that serpent, and you don't see it. But, but there's a temptation there, and there's an allurement, and there's a connection, and, and there's someone that's behind that. And someone has a goal, a purpose for you. And someone has your defeat, my defeat, determined and planned for. And, and they, are, they are ruthlessly pursuing our destruction. We need to be aware of that. This, this earth is aimed for that. You're a pretty girl. It's not your fault. You're pretty. God made girls pretty. You're, you're a pretty girl. Unfortunately, you've got a mirror in your house. You're a pretty girl, but unfortunately, you have a mirror in your house. And, and, and it comes upon your recollection someday. It kind of dawned on you one time. 
That was a dangerous day for you when that awareness came into your heart. A dangerous day. There's a serpent wrapped around that mirror. There was a serpent there that day. You looked in there and saw that. And there was a serpent there wrapped around that mirror that day. That's the day the, the, the hair didn't quite stay in place. That something, something was going on there. Some new experiments that day. I'm sorry, but you understand it, don't you? And that's simplicity. That's why that, that's why that word humility we had a while ago. That's why. There, there's going to be no victory without that. And some girls feel that they're, they're missing a little bit of something along that line, and so maybe there's some little fix-up that we can do here to, to kind of make up for the lack. Serious mistake. And a young man over here that's looking for a wife. He's not looking for Miss America. He's looking for a mother for his children. He's not looking for a barber doll. He's looking for a companion to share the ministry that God's going to give him in his life. Someone who's walking with God, someone who knows the Lord, someone who's yielded to God's direction for their lives, someone who is saying it's on the altar. That's why the last night's message comes before tonight's. Then until self is denied, there's no pathway to victory. There's no way to live a victorious life until we deal with this self. We had to do that last night. It's not against flesh and blood. It's not a carnal. It's not a physical conflict. For though we live in the flesh, we war not after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down what? Not Mike Tyson. Casting down what? Imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That's where victory happens. That's in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6. So I have two points tonight. I want to give you some New Testament teaching on victorious Christian living. And of course, this cannot be exhaustive, or we'll be here an awful long time. But just a smattering. And what I'm going to do there in that section where we're looking at what the New Testament says about a Christian living a victorious life, I'm going to show you that in, th- in three snapshots or in three areas. Three areas of Christian living. And I hope with those three things, it'll be easy for you to outline it and, and then that way easy for you to remember it. But last night's message on surrender could be summarized in these words from our Lord's Prayer. That message there on surrender last night. You can summarize everything I said with these words from the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. And I'm, I'm out of it. I step back. I'm out of it. Thy will be done. That's surrender, right? And tonight's message can be summarized with some more words from the Lord's Prayer. Listen. And deliver us not into temptation. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And some people feel that that word evil there refers to evil one. Deliver us from the evil one. But wherever there is evil, be assured of one thing. There is an evil one. If you speak Spanish, 
Donde quiera que haya mal, hay un maligno. That's just the way it always is. And where there's evil, there's an evil one. And I use that expression there, that serpent that's winding itself around there. And, and he is luring. And we don't realize it. We don't realize, and, and, and it would maybe be more realistic if we would forget the image of the serpent in the tree in the garden. And we go to Costa Rica and get you about a 20-foot long boa constrictor. And as you're there in front of that mirror, that boa constrictor has wrapped around there once and wrapped around twice and wrapped around three times. And after he's wrapped around there a little bit, some strange thing begins to happen. And you will not get loose. I know a young man who was playing with the boa constrictor. He thought this thing was funny. He thought it was a joke. He thought it was cute to play with this thing. And one day he got his arms kind of in this position somehow or another, and that snake began wrapping stuff around his arms. And all of a sudden realized he's not going to get out of here. There is no way to get out. Many people find themselves in sin that way. That boa constrictor is there. If we only think about that, young ladies, young men, daddies and mamas tonight. We have, uh, in that prayer, lead us not to temptation, deliver us from evil, we have a prayer there to be kept free from sin. And this is victory. That's victorious living, to live free from sin. And some of us might doubt if living free from sin is possible. Some of us might doubt that. And we should never allow our doubt to be the measure of what our faith could expect. Free from sin. We should not allow our doubt to dissuade us and to derail us and prevent us from experiencing what faith would experience if faith took hold of those words. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And here's a young person, here's a young man, a young lady, and they're praying that prayer, deliver us from evil. And it takes humility. It takes a commitment. It takes surrender. Victory over sin is contingent upon our death to self. We have that message in Romans chapter 6. Would you turn to Romans 6? Victory over sin, freedom from sin. He talks about it in this passage many, many times. Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Grace is the very gift God gives us to make victory possible. It's, it's, it's possible because grace is here. It's possible because the grace of God abounds. It's possible because He gives grace to the humble. How shall they that are dead live any longer therein? And we've been baptized into Christ. And we've been baptized into His death. And we were buried with Him in baptism. So that we should walk in newness of life, verse 4. And we were planted in the likeness of his death. We should also experience the likeness of his resurrection, 5. Our old man is crucified with him. Why? So that the body of sin might be destroyed. And we're no longer servants of sin. He says that several times in this chapter. And then it says in verse 7, He that is dead is freed from sin. Which is the first one of the verses that refers to our freedom from sin in this chapter. Verse 18, being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. 
Verse 22 says, But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end overcomers. Everlasting life. And I can notice some phrases here in verse 6. The body of sin might be destroyed. Think of that. The body of sin destroyed. Look at verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Look at verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Sin cannot rule over you. Why does sin rule? See, when a person is addicted to whatever it is, and alcohol is one thing, and drugs is another thing, and some people are addicted to eating, and some are addicted to spending, and some are addicted to and you, credit cards, and you name it, what people are addicted to. And we have, we have this pornography issue today, and people are addicted to technology, people are addicted to their cell phones, they can't get it off. And, and we were there in that ministers' meeting in Ohio. And a dear brother who has a lot of experience with technology like I do not have, and he's very experienced in it, and very... Very aware, he would be the kind of person who could step into Seattle, Washington, and walk beside Bill Gates and serve him in those in those areas of life. He knows those things. He told me the Dale. Most people think that it's what comes on the screen that is dangerous. He looked at me and he said, "But it's the screen." What is addicting is the screen. You can't keep your eyes off the screen. You've got to be doing something with the screen. And of course it got worse with the touch screen. Because now we, we touch it. And so there's a personal relationship with the screen. And we can't quit it. Go to the park. If you have a park. You don't have parks this time of year. It's too cold, 14 degrees. But in Costa Rica, the parks are full. Here are trees. Here are birds. Here are little animals. Squirrels running around. Pigeons can, 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 can eat, eat them stuff you put there in the floor for them to eat. The, the breezes are blowing. And it's beautiful out here. And here, here's, a, here's a little place to go for a walk under the, some, through some trees. And, but there are park benches. People are sitting on the benches. No one's walking in the park. No one's enjoying the tree. No one sees a squirrel. No one's noticing that the jaguar that's over there singing. And what are, what's everyone doing in the park? You know what they're doing? You know what the answer is. Glued to it. Can't quit it. Locked down to it. Dominion over you. Let not anything have dominion over you. And the thing that has dominion over you, we're addicted to. Whatever it is. That's what this is saying here. We can be free from this. And God says be free from it. I don't know your story. See, the necessity for surrender and yieldedness is paramount for victorious living. We have that time and again in this chapter here. Know ye not, verse 16, that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death, or of obedience unto righteousness, we must yield. And we're going to yield. You, you, you tell me I don't want to yield. You say I'm my own boss. No, you're not. You're either yielding to this or to this. 
Someone else is ruling over you. You just decide who your master was. You decide whether it was Pharaoh or whether it was God. You decide whether it was Nebuchadnezzar or whether it was the Lord God Almighty. You decide who it was, but there is a ruler over there, and he is control. You yield yourself one way or the other. But the fruits are different. The results are drastically apart. But we decide to whom we yield ourselves. I, I please, please get that. I will say more, more things about this living in victory over sin. Love does not sin. Love does not sin. Love is the countervailing force to sin. Instead of loving, love sinning, love is the thing that keeps us from sinning. When we bring love into any situation, something must happen with sin. Jesus, my Lord, I thee adore. Oh, let me love thee more and more. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee all the follies of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer. Didn't we just sing that song? Tonight? Did we sing it tonight? All the follies of sin. Love does not sin. Your Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13 that love never fails. And I suppose that you English readers suppose that that means that love always wins. My guess is that you understand that to mean when it says there love never fails, that if you use love in any given situation, that that's the winning ingredient. And that's, that's fine, because that is true. But if you read that in the Greek language, it would say something a little bit different. The cruise of oil did not fail. That, that means that the cruise of oil always had oil in it. You, you never could exhaust the cruise of oil. There was always more in there. That barrel of meal for that widow there in Zarephath always had meal in it. And as long as that drought was going on, she could dip her cup down the bottom and always come up with it. It was always in there. It never failed. That's the way love is. That's what it means. Spanish says, nunca deja de ser, which is a beautiful expression. You can never exhaust it. It never ceases to exist. It's always there. Whatever you need it, as much as you want, you can't exhaust it. It's a tremendous thought. That's the way love is. It does not fail, nor does, nor does faith ever sin. What we do without faith is sin. But faith never sins. It's the absence of both faith and love in my life when I'm sinning. If you look at anything that I'm doing wrong, anything in our lives that, we, that need to be different for that victorious day, for that overcomers, Convention around the marriage supper of the Lamb. Can you imagine that? The overcomers are there. And anyone that's missing that was either wrong in love or wrong in faith. It was not necessary to miss that. Here we are in union with Christ. Holiness is a way of life, it's a highway. It's union with Christ. Holiness is practical humility. But I want to be realistic. We make mistakes, you and I do. We make wrong decisions. We stumble on in our weaknesses at times. We need to be corrected. We have brothers and sisters in the church that love us enough to help readjust us 
Help us to find our way. It's beautiful. But even though we have all those tendencies towards forgetfulness and we didn't get it done and we were too tired to finish it and we forgot that we made that appointment and we are filled with all kinds of stuff like that. You and I are. But we're not living in anomia, which is the Greek word for lawlessness, for rebellion, for stubbornness, for stiff-necked resistance against God. And God sets us free from that. And never again do we ever come to God, ever come to this Bible. We don't ever come to a Christian meeting. We don't ever come to our pastors. We don't ever come to our fathers and mothers with this stiff-necked resistance against the truth and against the right. We don't have any kind of an attitude like that. Our hearts are yielded and we are surrendered. And, and that, that, power of, that power of lawlessness and that power of rebellion has been broken in our lives. I was recently in a congregation where a young man, a young man with serious struggles, he's the only one in his family as part of the congregation. And while his family, his parents, are going in opposite direction, going the opposite direction that he is traveling, he is trying to be faithful in a, in a biblical congregation, and he is, he is there alone. And he's the only Afro-American that's a member of that congregation. Are you, are you beginning to get the drama here? And so we have a, a very, very unique situation for a young man. And the young man needed to buy a pickup truck. He thought he did. And he, he got this pickup truck. And so he drives his pickup truck into the church service. And some of the brethren come out of the service and they see that our, our, young, our young brother got another vehicle. It's about that time I showed up in the congregation. One of the pastors took me out and said, Brother Dale, would you come over here? I just want you to stand here and look at this truck a while and then tell me what you think. And then I, I began to understand the drama here. The young man had gotten a truck that maybe was just a little bit off bounds, not quite in the context of the testimony of the congregation, not quite what the brotherhood represents in that community. Do you understand me, young fellas? A pickup truck that maybe said a few, a few things they shouldn't have said. You know what I mean by that? A pickup truck had, 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 had a, little bit too much, uh, a little bit too much voice coming out of it. Saying maybe a little bit the wrong thing. And now what are we going to do? Of course, we come from Catholic Costa Rica. Interesting that there was a chain around the mirror inside the cab with a cross hanging on the chain. Now, where I live, that's, that's a given. Everyone knows what that stands for. That, that cross you ought to take off of there because... That does, he does not represent what that means when he put it there. He probably does not know what it means. And so when I started there, that's the first thing I said. I said, first thing I do with this truck is I think I just slip that chain off around that rearview mirror. I think that's the first thing I would do. There were a few other things there, a few other features that maybe just should have been adjusted. Let us say that that young man has this truck sitting out there in the church lot. And the Brotherhood is concerned about, and I'm not going to name all the issues. But the young man says, yeah, I, 
I'd be glad if you'd tell me. What, what, what should I do? I, maybe I shouldn't have done that. I, I, I don't have any fight in me about that. I, just, 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 just tell me what, what you see. And though we make mistakes, the anomia, the rebellion, the rebellious attitude is not there. And for us to have victorious living, we want to ensure that that's dealt with in our lives. If you're a preacher tonight, if you're a minister, you're a pastor, it'd be your responsibility to go to that young man. Now you wonder what's coming, don't you? That's good. I want you to know what's coming. You have to go to that young man. Just stand up here. This young man with a green shirt. Just stand up here. I'll use you for example. I don't know what his name is or where he comes from. I don't know if his pastor's here or not, but here's a young man. His pickup truck's sitting out there. His. I can't read what's written there. And you walk up to him and you need to talk to him. A couple things I want to tell you about him before you get there. Okay, he made a mistake on his truck. There's some stuff on there that shouldn't be on there. We need to get it off of there. But don't start there. This young man is a member of our congregation, and we love him, and we appreciate him, and we've seen all kinds of evidence of the grace of God in his life, and we know that he's a faithful brother among us, and we trust him. And we know the gifts that he has in our congregation, and we're not going to do without them. And at the table of our church, there's a place, a chair where he sits at the table, and there's a place setting there, and knives and forks and spoons, and he's going to be sitting at that place. He belongs at our table. He is our brother. And when we come to talk to him, if we're going to help him, we come with that attitude. And with that assurance, that awareness, and that appreciation for him before we get there. And he's going to find that out when we begin to talk to him. You know what I think he'll do, that young man right there? I think he'll walk us over to his truck and say, would you show me what you have in mind? I'm here, Just, just show me what you have in mind. That's victorious living. Are you young men ready for that? Is, is, is that okay? Can we, can we at least step into that attitude? And then there's another unique picture in the Bible, free from sin. There's another one, a burning and a shining light, victorious living. A burning and a shining light, that's victorious living. It's the practice of a victorious life. And Jesus said that about John the Baptist. You, you went out to your thoughters, you saw a reed shaken by the wind. You saw you thought you had a voice out there. This fellow was strange the way he was dressed, the kind of food he ate. He, he ordered a strange diet at McDonald's when he stepped up there to the uh, drive-thru. Yeah. Make that three of locusts and five of wild honey. But he was a great, a burning and a shining light. And that means in the Greek language, a torch that's got a flame come out the top of it. A flame coming off that torch. And do you know that the Bible says that that's the way each one of you and I should be? Do you know the Bible uses that same expression for you and I in Luke chapter 12? Did you know that that's for you and I to be a burning and a shining light? And wherever there's a burning and shining light, there's a victorious living. 
There's a testimony. There's a city set in the hook that cannot be hid. There's a great difference with the darkness. It's a contrast to the darkness. This thing is a light. It's a testimony. It's a witness. It's visible. It's known and understood. It's identified. It's clearly distinguished. A torch of flame, a pilgrim of flame. It's not a decorated lantern. It's a light in a dark night. The Bible word for witnesses is martum. But ye shall receive power. If that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be martum unto me. First in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the other parts of the world. Martum. A burning and shining light is a martum. A witness. A testimony. And we see the order there. The Holy Ghost comes first, then power comes next, then we are martyrs last. Martum. That's where we got our word martyr. From the word witness, from the word martum in that language. I wonder something. Would we be willing to go to the present president of the United States, USA, and tell him that it's not lawful for him to have the woman that he calls his wife? John the Baptist was willing to do that. Burning and shining light. That, that takes tremendous. That takes tremendous testimony. That takes a tremendous yieldedness. That takes a tremendous humility of surrender. To, 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 instead of going up there and, and having someone lodge you and have the photographers come and, and take your picture with the president. You stand there and you say, it's not lawful for you. It's not a lawful thing, what you're doing in this area of your life. You have no idea what the repercussions might be. But there's a jail sale, and there's, and, there's, and there's some change that can be snapped onto those wrists. And you can find yourself down there until the girl has a party, until she dances before her dad. And when he has his passions appeased by her performance and offers her anything she'd like to have, someone comes back with a platter. And disciples come and take the rest of the body away and bury it. And John the Baptist is gone. Within a year after he began his ministry, there's no John the Baptist anymore, but he was a burning and shining light. And now you and I are here in this arena. And John the Baptist is not here, but you are here. A burning and shining light. Clear identification with other kingdom. Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. Dare to have a purpose firm. Dare to make it known. And there's a third picture in the Bible. That picture of unwavering faith. The Bible tells us in 1 John 5, 4, this is the victory that overcomes the world. Vic makes us victors in our living. Even our faith. Victory in faith. We see that in every one of the examples in, he in Hebrews chapter 11. We have the faith of Christ. The Bible says we live by the faith of the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. And if I had this living faith of Christ in my life and was facing something difficult today, and Christ was here, his faith is here, his life is here, there's victory there. Christ does not yield to temptation. Christ does not fail in the hour of trial. Christ is victorious over all that he does. Christ is the Lamb of God. Christ is the Son of God. Christ, Christ is the truth of God. He's the wisdom of God. He's our 
He's our own God. He's, he's for us. He is our perpetuation. He is our sanctification. He is our redemption. He is our light. We have the victory because we see more than the luring offer and the passing fancy. We believe what the Bible says about it. We have faith. And so we don't stop by Vanity Fair and don't shop there. I want to say a couple things to you people here tonight. When you come to Costa Rica, you don't need to ride, ride a zip line, girls. You don't need to ride a zip line, Costa Rica. There's plenty for you to enjoy without riding a zip line. You don't need to take that modest, beautiful dress off that you're wearing and put on a t-shirt and a pair of blue jeans so that you can get a ticket and ride that zip line. Because they don't want you doing that with a skirt on. You don't need to put a pair of shorts on to ride the zip line. You don't need to ride the zip line. You don't find Daniel riding the zip line. And Perpetua that you heard about tonight would not have been riding the zip line. You don't need to do it either. You don't need to lay 30 feet of rubber when you pull your pickup truck out of, out of McDonald's. You don't need a muffler, a tailpipe this big around so it, just, it sounds like a 747 just took off and all it was was a, a, a 5.4 uh, diesel with intercooler. That's all it was. And you, you had to rip and roar that thing out of there. And what was the reason for that? And what testimony was it giving? And what statement was it making? And what were, we, what were we saying about ourselves? And victorious Christian living. This is not hard to figure out. It's not hard to decide what kingdom that belongs to. It's not hard to decide what we're trying to impress. We're not asking for the angel Gabriel to come. We're not like the young man. He went to see his bishop. He told his bishop that he has a problem. He has a problem, and that is that he is paying a lot of insurance for his vehicle. And he's not sure it's right for a Christian to have insurance. He just wonders if there's any way that he can have a vehicle and use it on the highways without having an insurance plan for his vehicle. And so his minister, his pastor, listened to the young man's testimony. They talked about it a while, and I don't know what conclusion they came to, but the young man had to go home. And so when, the young, when he was dismissing himself, the, the pastor for, got to the door and then saw him out the door and, and stood out in the porch of his house and watched the young man go down the walk and get into his vehicle. So the pastor is standing there watching this young man. He gets in, the, gets in his vehicle, and before he starts the engine, he, he bowed his head and spent some time in prayer before he turned the ignition. And then he drove away, and the bishop came to me, and he said, Dale, I didn't know quite what to say to the young man when he was asking about his insurance, but when I, after I saw what I observed, I thought to myself, there's no one that's got that kind of insurance that he's got. We decide that. And when I peeled this thing off, 
going down the highway. Uh, I, I don't have that protection upon my life that I really need day by day. And we're doing despite the Spirit of grace. We are quenching the Spirit of God. We are offending the Holy One. And then I want to say one more thing, and I see we don't have time to do it. I want to give you a New Testament example of Christian living. That was the teaching. I want to give you a New Testament example. And I'm going to do that. It won't take long, but you just go to Acts chapter 6. This won't take long, but it's important. Wherefore, look ye among seven men, out among you seven men, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Verse 5, And the same pleased the whole multitude. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and, they, and, and five more. They set these before the apostles. They laid hands on them. And they were numbered there and named and given this responsibility to take care of these needs that the apostles were not supplying and the, the word of God increased in Jerusalem. Verse 8 says, Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. And then we went into another portion here that tells us that Stephen ran into great difficulty. We have the story here of a martyr. martyr. This man was a, was a martyr long before he died. He was a martyr before the stones took his life. He was a martyr before a young man named Saul watched this man's head fall down. And he breathed no more. And he was gone. Stephen was a witness, a burning and shining light. He was a man of faith. And he lived in victory over sin before this happened in his story. I just want to tell you a couple of things about this man. He was one of the seven. He may have been the first one named by the congregation at Jerusalem. At least he's the first one named here in this list. Very probably he was not a Jew. His name is Greek, as were the other six men who also were named here. Because it was the Greek widows that were neglected, and for some strange reason, this congregation came up with seven Greek names. He may have either been a, a recent convert, or else he may have been a proselyte who had come into the Jewish faith before. But at any rate, it's unusual to find this unique combination in this man, Stephen. I will tell you a couple things about him that really ought to be said about you and me. He was a man of prayer. And this was not 911 praying. This was not SOS praying. This was not last resort praying. Prayer was a normal thing for Stephen. And you see how he prayed to God. You see the things he said to God. You see the acquaintance he had with the Lord. You see the intimate relationship he had with God. Prayer was part of his life. And this man was used to praying at the, uh, at the unusual junctures of life. He, he prayed when other people probably would not have thought of praying. Prayer would not have been in our minds. I know what it's like to face death. I know what it's like to have death right there. I, I don't remember on the several occasions that I can think of standing here before you that that's happened to me. I can't remember I prayed right there. You know, you're driving a tractor. And the front wheels of the tractor come off the ground. And they don't come off the ground a foot or three feet. 
Now the front wheels are straight up in the air. And you're sitting on this seat. And it goes right that way. And that all happens within so short a period of time. Probably less than a second and a half for all that to have happened. And you don't get a whole lot of prayer in in that short of time. I don't think I thought about praying at all. My wife saw the whole thing happen, was screaming. I never heard her scream. But as these things were happening to Stephen, he was praying. He prayed several prayers in the period of time that the stones were flying against him. I know in this particular case, he was preparing to die. I knew that in that case, he, was, he knew that was going to happen to him. And, 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 you know, as I was unloading that tractor from a truck that day and going up the, the little bank there where it was and expecting that we'd just go up over the hill and, and park it and then take the truck back where it was and we were have it all fixed. Well, the tractor ended up upside down on top of the truck with the engine still running and wheels going around. You got wheels in the air on the same truck bed where I tried to unload it, upside down. Of course, you have a question, too, don't you? Steel against steel is, is a pretty strong impact. But this man prayed. He was a man of prayer. All, all faithful Christians are. This man was a Bible Christian. If you read the seventh chapter of Acts and look at the history that that man knew by heart. You look at the seventh chapter of Acts. And look at the things he said there that are not even found in the Old Testament. You will find at least three significant and interesting facts in chapter 11 that are found no place in the 39 books of the Old Testament. You will find that this man not only knew the facts of history, he knew God's purpose. He knew the plan. He knew what God had in mind as he told that story. And he knew where God was, going, was taking the story when he stopped there with Moses. He knew where God was taking it from there. This man walked with God and knew his word and understood God's will and understood God's purpose. And victorious Christian living is not an accident. Someone took time to do that. But we have to do more than simply add, add to that $100,000 bank account that I heard about this afternoon, this morning. Someone was doing more than that. And I believe the young man that asked that question is also doing more than just simply putting the money in the bank. I don't know how big Stephen's bank account was, but there was one account that he had that was pretty big. And this man was living for God. This man was sold out. And I can easily understand why the church, when they had this opportunity and responsibility, they said, Stephen! It didn't take long to figure it out. This man was filled with the Holy Ghost. This man is full of faith. This man was full of wisdom. And the Bible tells us later on here that he was full of power. Those are interesting words to say, but he was a Bible Christian. Wherewithal shall young men cleanse his way victorious living? By taking heed thereto, according to thy word. He was full of faith. His face shone like an angel. He saw an open heaven. No one can resist his words. Listen to this. They could not resist the wisdom by which they spake, but he said to them, you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers have done. But they couldn't resist him. 
but they're resisting the Holy Ghost. You cannot deny his words. They were such true words. You cannot overcome somebody who lives by faith. I think of Bishop Kropov in that prison there, torture cell in Romania. And so for 10 days, they did this for 10 days to him. They, they, they took this man and plastered him and beat him. He, he was so knocked apart, he, he, he really did not know what role he was in. How he retained consciousness and how, his, how he retained his life, why he did not die, I do not know. But at the end of 10 days of that kind of treatment, torturous treatment, every day in that torture cell, I don't know how it happened. I don't know if it was a reflection of the sun or what took place. But in, in that cell, he, of a sudden, saw an image of his face on a, on a piece of glass. I don't know what it was. Was there some glass on a door with the sun shining just right? And he saw what he looked like. And he could not believe what he saw. He could still see, and he recognized, he saw a person, he did not know who it was. It's what he looked like after 10 days. And there in that moment, with all hope gone, there in that moment, with nothing but more of this to look forward to, two words came out of his mouth. I believe. And they could do nothing with him. There was no other answer. Victory. You can't defeat it. Victorious living. I believe that's the power of faith. Just saying those words, he was, he was invincible after that time. There was nothing you could do with him. Do with him whatever you want to do. I believe, therefore have I spoken. He that believeth in me shall not be ashamed. And just saying those words, and he's not alone in that cell. And there's power there and light there and blessing there. And he was a witness. Stephen was. A testimony. A man of conviction. Truth burning in his heart. He was a torch on fire. He knew where to stood, stand, and he stood where he knew. And a young man saw it all. And the, the, the stones were coming as he stood. The stones start flying as he was still standing. And he stood where he knew to stand. And the stones are flying. The Bible says that after the stones began to come, he knelt down. You know, I suppose for several reasons. Maybe he wanted to pray. Maybe, maybe the knocked him off his balance. Maybe he didn't have strength anymore to resist those stones. I think of a phone call I got today. Yeah, my, my name is John. I, My mother's name is Marie. My daddy was John. He didn't say, he didn't say anymore. I said, I'm sorry, son. I said, I know, I know the story very well. I remember very, very well what happened. They stood him up there in Guatemala. The firing squad was there. They took their rifles. And some of them didn't want to do it, so some put their rifles down. Some couldn't do it. They saw this man standing here beside his wife. And, and although they were brazen, as these gorillas were brazen, they just couldn't do it. So, so some put their guns down. So the commander of this group, 
he, he was not going to let this happen. So he shot once. That bullet went right in. And, and John felt it, but remained standing. Shot again. Another time, weaker this time, harder to stay standing this time. John's still standing. Shot again. After a while, that body went down. John Troyer died. I remember very, very well. So I talked to his son today on the phone. Stephen went down. I guess the rest of the people thought they won. They got Stephen down. I guess they thought they beat. They got Stephen down. I guess the enemy was happy. We got Stephen down. But just wait a minute. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this into their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Victorious Christian living. I don't know how to describe it to you better than that. I'd like you to take that model along home, that example from Scripture. A martyr before he died. A witness before the stones took his life. And now we're on the arena. And not Perpetua. And not John the Baptist. And not Stephen. You and I are on this arena with our pickup trucks and with our clothing choices and with our technology use, we're on the arena. And with the screen before us, the world wonders with whom we're going to identify and how will this turn out? And the serpent is hissing and principalities and powers are looking and they have plans for us. They know where our weaknesses are. They know where to attack. And we're unable and we're weak. But there's an open heaven. Heaven is opened above us. And we see the Son of God standing at the right hand of God. And he ever liveth to make intercession for us. Satan hath desired to have thee, that he may sift thee as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And to hear the word of the Lord Jesus saying that with your name in that sentence and my name in that sentence. And then heaven is open. And we see this holy and beautiful one. And our Bibles are well-used Bibles. I've read through my Bible that I use in our country from beginning to end over 25 times. And that Bible's falling apart. And that Bible probably will be replaced, but I can hardly part with it. Someone told me that Brother Denny Keniston's Bible looked like he slept in it. Praise God for a holy Bible that is so much needed and so well used. A man of the Bible. A man of prayer, a man of faith, a man with a witness, a burning and shining light who had conviction and wasn't afraid who found out about it and was on the arena 
And people were watching. And a young man watched. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Who art thou, Lord? You've run into me before. Did you ever hear Stephen? It's your turn, Paul. How about if you and I go down to the arena together and you show them there how you live this life and you, you and I will suffer great things for my namesake, but you're on the arena. And tonight's your turn to get out of that arena and serve in that arena and live in that arena and let the world watch your life and be a big victor for the Lord Jesus Christ is at your heart tonight. May God bless you as we pray. Father in heaven, we join you in that arena. You were there before we were there. We have no doubt of your testimony, no doubt of the price of your blood, no doubt of the purity and power of it. No doubt that we many times failed and come short of the glory of it. No doubt that many times our lives did not reflect the holy and the virtuous work that was done on the cross of Calvary where the Prince of Glory died. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. We know what you've done. We know that you've called us. We know that you love us. We know that you intercede for us. We know that you're for us. And who can be against us? Though all men watch and look and demons and powers try their best to wrest this life from our hearts. But faith is fixed there. And our faces are sent like a flint. And we behold the Lord God. We choose to be faithful like Perpetua was and many others in that Circus Maximus and down there in that Colosseum. Father, would you bless these youth tonight, these daddies and mothers tonight, would you bless them in their ongoing Bible school? But Father, if there's someone here, if there is someone here, oh God, would you call us to join the ranks of the martyrs on the arena floor? Purify our pickup trucks, O God. Sanctify our mirrors. Go through our wardrobes and purify what you see in there, O God. Grant us the grace of humility, the power of victory in our lives. Set us free from the sin and this death. Free us from the prideful that takes away from your glory, O God. And bless this Bible school and everyone gathered here this evening. And we pray this blessing in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. If you have something you'd like to take care of tonight, take care of it. If you'd like to visit with someone after the service is over, there are many of us here who would be glad to visit with you. If you'd like some time to pray, seek for someone and pray with someone. If you have a need in your life you would like to discuss, you'd like to get it out in the open, you'd like to just put it out here in the light so we'd all see it and take care of it tonight. We help you with that. If there's someone here, if there's someone here who is not, is not down on that arena floor, instead of that you're watching how the others are living down there, I want to invite you tonight to join us on this floor and join the company of the martyrs. Be a victorious testimony for Christ. So I invite you that way tonight. And we're not going to do it in a formal way this evening. We want you to make decisions in your heart that won't change when the meeting is over. We want you to make decisions in your heart that stick after the 17th of March. We want you to make decisions in your heart that come back along home with you. 
and live in your life afterwards. That's what we want you to do. And may God bless you tonight. If you have any further word, brother.